Well, good morning, church family. My name is Nathan, one of the pastors here. It's great to be back with you. I spent a glorious month in Colorado Springs, TDY, at the Air Force Academy. That was my last trip out there. Begin a new assignment as a reserve chaplain at Arlington, uh, Arlington Cemetery starting this fall. But thank you for your prayers for my family when I was away. Uh, this morning's sermon in our Proverbs series falls into the category of uncomfortable but necessary conversations. Other conversations that fit in this category include the one that happens at the beginning of every commercial air flight. Start something like this. Welcome aboard. Please keep your seatbelt fastened anytime the seatbelt sign is on. Even if the sign is off, please keep it on in case of rough air. You know how easily it is to tune out the safety video and demonstration about now. It's unlikely, but if cabin pressure changes, the chandeliers above you will open, revealing oxygen masks. If that happens, pull them down, put them over your nose and mouth, and breathe normally. Now, have you ever paused to ask the question, why do we need to be reminded of this safety reminder every time that we fly? Why do we need to remind ourselves? It's a good question. Though it's unlikely, there is a chance that the cabin could lose oxygen, which, if you stop to think about it, is quite a terrifying thought to begin every time we fly. <clears throat> but the point is, in the event of a tragedy, the purpose of the reminder is to help us be better prepared if such a situation ever arises. And unfortunately for our topic today, it is much more likely than many of us would imagine. Much, much more likely than the loss of cabin pressure in an airplane. And that is abuse. We've just read from Proverbs, verses that speak to oppression, abuse, the way that our words can wound people, the potential for power, strength, and authority to wound another person. So I think that we will be better prepared together and have an increased awareness as a congregation if we have this uncomfortable but necessary conversation together. And perhaps you are here today and have experienced abuse. You've never truly healed or shared your story. We want this to be a place where you can share your secrets. And I know that that doesn't happen overnight, but we hope that we can earn your trust. We want to be the type of church that is characterized by gospel courage and vulnerability. And today that means looking at something ugly in order that we might see the beauty of the gospel. And parents, I'm going to do so in a way that the sensitive little ears among us uh, will also be appropriate. For us to be able to think about protection, we need the wisdom of God to help show us the path of life. So would you pray with me? Mighty and merciful Father, may your presence be among us and your spirit guide us as we come to your word. Too many of us know full well the pain and the chaos that happens when someone stronger than us or in authority over us harms us or fails to protect us. 
I pray for the protection of the hearts and minds even now here as we have this discussion. Would you help us to see and know the hope and healing that is found in Jesus Christ? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. First point today, uh, why are we talking about abuse in the first place? Why are we talking about abuse? There's a couple reasons. The first reason we're talking about abuse, and always the most important reason, is that we have biblical grounds to take abuse seriously. The most common word used in the Bible for abuse is oppression. It can be found 116 times in the ESV. One example might recall is from the book of Exodus, where we hear that the Israelites were bitter, and the root of their bitterness was because of the Egyptians' oppression of Israel. The Hebrew word itself means affliction or humiliation, or to do that to someone, to humble someone, and that's most often done through the mistreatment of another person. Like when Sarah mistreats and abuses Hagar. And even as Sarah and Hagar demonstrate, abuse is not limited to men to women alone. Abuse does not discriminate between age or gender or familiarity of the person. So we see oppression and abuse in the scripture. But zooming out a little bit, Nathaniel Brooks is the professor of counseling at RTS in Charlotte, and he wisely reminds us this as well. We have to remember that being biblical is not merely restricted to word choice. In other words, we also want to look at the conceptual level as well. Therefore, we have biblical grounds to take abuse seriously because we believe that all human beings were created in God's image and have infinite value, dignity, and worth. So we believe that this is important for us to talk about. Even as one of the Proverbs that we read earlier says, Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. This is why we start here always, because we were created in God's image. And any oppression of an image bearer of God is an an oppression against God himself. The second reason that we're talking about abuse this morning is the prevalence of abuse, not just in our culture, but in the church as well. Statistics show that abuse is much more common than many of us would realize. That one in three girls and one in five boys is abused. One study said that 37% of children will have a visit from local child protective services by the time they turn 18. These are sobering statistics that show the prevalence of abuse, not just out there, but also in the church as well. There's been a lot written on this subject lately, but a couple years ago, the Washington Post in 2018 published an article called The Sin of Silence. And in that article, they quoted Dr. Diane Langberg, who is a world-recognized authority on violence against women and a, a PCA member, for what it's worth. But she said this, that Christians must decide whether to give in to their impulse to minimize the disruption of abuse or let themselves see a serious problem in their community and deal with it. 
And that's what we're here today to do is to talk about this, to have our eyes open to the reality of sin and its impact, not just outside in the world, but also in the church as well, because sin would desire nothing less than for us to be complacent than to linger in the darkness. Sin wants to convince us that it's not there. It wants for us to minimize its impact. Sin prefers silence, but we are not going to be silent today. And I want to be clear that we're not talking about this subject today because of any specific knowledge of abuse past or present in our church, but rather that we can have this conversation to continue to ensure safety, that this would be a safe place to allow survivors to share their secrets in order that they, you, might find freedom and healing. That is our desire today. And yes, we believe that the gospel is for abusers as well. Now, many churches have mishandled the concept of forgiveness in the context of abuse. So I in no way want to oversimplify forgiveness in that context. But I love what Rachel Den Hollander said in her victim impact statement to Larry Nasser. You may have heard it. I pray that you would experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Those were powerful words by Rachel and an even more powerful reality. The third reason that we're talking about abuse is because it's timely. It's timely. Our denomination recently had its General Assembly, its large meeting where they adopted, approved a report on domestic violence and sexual assault. And it came just a few weeks after uh, the revelation of the Southern Baptist Convention's cover-up of decades of sexual abuse. And stories coming out of Hillsong, plenty other stories of other places that don't make the headlines, but leave many disillusioned with the church. And of course, we're not just speaking about other denominations because all of the case studies that were included in the PCA's report itself were from actual incidences in our churches as well. But the report that was adopted by our denomination instructed sessions and pastors to talk to our congregations about this subject. So that's what we're doing this morning. And they asked us to do that so that we will be better able to protect, identify, and respond well to abuse when it arises. Why are we talking about abuse? This is point number one, because the Bible speaks to it. It is prevalent in our culture and church. And finally, it's timely for us, certainly, as a congregation. But point number two, what I want us to do next is to think about abuse and respond with wisdom. So how do we think about abuse and respond with wisdom? Probably helpful to, to give a good definition of what we mean when we say abuse. And the PCA report, I think, gives us a good definition. Uh, the report, you can see the list of the folks who were on that committee, but included many clinical and legal uh, experts in the field, such as Dr. Langberg and Ms. Den Hollander, 
who I quoted earlier. But they define the essence of abuse as a misuse of power which wounds another person physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. So let's look again at some more of the Proverbs that we read a moment ago. If you have uh, your finger in your Bible, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 is where I want to point our attention briefly. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, <clears throat> which says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not he repay man according to his work? Now, we don't know the precise context of this saying and the context of the prisoners who are condemned to die, but we are told to take extraordinary measures to intervene to keep them safe. And I love how one commentator compared this passage to the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was helpful for me understanding this because if you think about this saying, who is, who is this proverb directed to? All right, look at the context. Rescue those who are being taken away. So it's not directing the person who is facing death, but similarly to the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's talking about the the priest and the Levite, who were tempted to just walk on past the innocent bystander who's dying in the ditch. Who is my neighbor? That famous parable ask. And this proverb teaches us that we can't just say, like many Germans and Christians who are living outside of concentration camps, well, I just didn't know. This proverb makes clear God will deal with us according to our works. And if we have the power, the ability to intervene, we can't just walk by and not have sympathy and take action for those who are experiencing abuse and oppression. In our own confession, in our own tradition, the Westminster Larger Catechism in 135 and 136 uh, helps us flesh this out a little bit. It spells out the duties required in the sixth commandment. And that um, line that's important to focus on talks about uh, pres- preserving life of ourselves and others by just defense thereof against violence. So to preserve the life of others and ourselves by just defense thereof against violence. That's one of the duties that's required when we think about the sixth commandment. So applying that, to our context, if we're to make a maximal interpretation of the sixth commandment in this case, that speaks to the right of abusers, the right to rather survivors to protection from their abusers, protecting the life of ourselves and others, the right of survivors to protect themselves from an abuser. The report says this, This may include removing herself and her children from an abusive home, separating them as a matter of protection, even as others urge reconciliation. This is the duty to preserve life. And the reality is, friends, that it has not always been that way in the church at large. The right 
to protect a survivor from abuse. In fact, many of the stories that I've heard tell the exact opposite. The instruction was to stay in an abusive relationship. But did you know that our session has talked about this and approved under the watchful guidance of Dr. Carolyn Sinclair, uh, my predecessor, a policy to speak to this issue, to make our position crystal clear, that you do not have to stay in an abusive relationship. That's one way we as a church have taken a practical step to care for, to rescue those who might be in an abusive relationship. And I do want to pause here and say, if you are suffering abuse or if you have suffered abuse, that I'm sorry for the pain and the trauma that that this has caused you and that you weren't protected from harm. Because I know many of you have held this alone. But I want you to know that one of the most important things that you can do is to remember the second greatest commandment. Hear these words. Love your neighbor as you love, what? Yourself. This is God's his wise and good design for us. It's to love ourselves. He knows that we can't love others unless we first love ourselves. And I know that if you have experienced abuse, that loving yourself is one of the furthest and hardest things for you to consider doing at times because of the shame and the guilt that you feel, but it's not your fault. Remember this second greatest commandment. And we promise as a church to walk alongside you, to help care for you and your financial, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical needs. This is part of my new role as pastor of congregational care is to think about these things. And we want to be clear today, if you or you know someone who's in an abusive relationship and want to talk to someone who is sensitive and informed on these matters, the best way to, to let us know is to email care at mcleanprez.org. And our assistant director, Laura Welke, she is the only person who monitors that inbox. And we want to hear your story and we want to walk alongside you if you would um, give us that privilege to do, to do that. We don't have time to focus on every aspect of sin and abuse. I would encourage you to read that report. But one that I did want to mention that's often overlooked is verbal abuse, emotional and psychological abuse. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18, we read this, says there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So, sorry Taylor Swift, but snakes and stones actually do break bones, we hear from Scripture. We know that words have the power, the ability to wound, and that non-physical forms of abuse should be taken extremely seriously. It's really sad to hear many of these stories because more often than not, they wish that they had visible bruises so that people would actually believe the abuse that, that they're undergoing. It's why it's important for us to believe people who would share their stories in such a way. We know that words affect more than just mind and soul, but they affect our bodies as well because we're image bearers 
Uh, Proverbs 14.30 says that words have the power to even rot the bones. And all the latest research demonstrates to us how non-physical oppression manifests itself in all sorts of nervous system and immune system issues, physically presenting itself in the body. And this is actually a part of a beautiful part of our reform distinctive because we don't have this separation of body and soul, but believe a body-soul union. And the scriptures affirm this reality, so it shouldn't be surprising to us that scientists have dis- have uh, discovered how words, psychological, soul words, can damage the body as well. I want to mention uh, briefly four points of personal and corporate application for us just to give you a picture of where we are and where we want to be as a church. The first is philosophy. Uh, I'm so thankful for our incredible children's ministry and the philosophy. You've perhaps heard their motto. Was it keep them safe, show them Jesus? We take that responsibility very seriously. We take that commitment seriously. And it's not just a part of our philosophy, but who we want to be. It's the type of culture that we want to be as a church. We want to keep our kids safe and show them Jesus. Second is, I want to just mention on policy. Did you know that every year, if you volunteer in our children or student ministry, or you're a staff member of our church, you have to undergo our child abuse prevention policy, our CAP policy, and uh, submit yourself to a background check. That's a great way for us to be prepared and to keep our kids safe. And this year, in addition as well, the session has asked the care committee to dive in deeper to this PCA report and recommend any key learnings back as we regularly self-evaluate the health of our church, the safety of our children especially as it comes to policy. We know that we have much to learn, but we do know this, that it is the biblical responsibility of our elders to protect the flock. And I know that our session takes that responsibility extremely seriously. Third thing I want to mention, just a point of application, is polity. I don't talk about Presbyterian polity up here very much because I would prefer that you be awake during my sermons, but... (laughs) This is one uh, time where I'm very grateful to be Presbyterian because there are layers and layers of accountability. And it's, it's great. We are accountable to one another. Pastors, we're accountable to our ruling elders. They, we are accountable to our local presbytery, local churches and, and elders, which is accountable to our general assembly, ultimately. So we want you to know, please, if there's ever a concern of anything going on here that you don't think is being properly addressed or is being covered up, you have access to appeal to people who are over us all the way up to the General Assembly as a member of this church. That is your right. And we hope that those layers of accountability will help prevent some of the cult of personality that we sometimes see in in different church structures. The fourth and final note is just a really practical note of protection for us to consider. Uh, Most states are mandatory reporters when it comes to knowledge of abuse, and that is true for the Commonwealth 
of Virginia as well, and that failure to report is a felony. And so we would encourage you, if you know or have awareness of abuse, to let protective services, the police, uh, let someone know. We believe it's our biblical responsibility and fidelity to Romans 13 to do this, to protect the vulnerable in this way. But if you're like me, uh, sometimes the gospel can sound like white noise, a little bit repetitive, perhaps like the safety demonstration on a flight. So let's wrap up by asking ourselves one more time the why question. Why speak up? Why care about this topic? Why protect? And we want to go back to the word oppression. Because there is one who understands better than any of us the effects of sin. And that's God himself. We hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Unless we begin to think, too, that this sermon is about someone else. That same prophet Isaiah said in this passage of Scripture that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's the thing. God is a holy God. We just sang about it. Only a holy God. And we have to remember what Proverbs 24, verse 12 reminds us. That for those who turn a blind eye, doesn't he who weighs the heart perceive it? Doesn't he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his works? And so who are we to say that we've never remained Silent when we should have spoken up to defend someone who is being mistreated? Or who here could say that they've never misused power or authority to harm others? Who here can say that they've never spoken words that inflict deep wounds? We ask, is anyone here guiltless? What hope do we have before a holy God? But that's the bad news. The good news is that we do have hope because Jesus, who had ultimate power and strength and authority, gave it up for us. He did not misuse his power. He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And this one that Isaiah is pointing to, Jesus used his power and his strength and authority to protect us. To protect us by his sacrifice, he protected us from the wrath of God, which we justly deserved. He came down from heaven to earth to rescue us. And by his wounds, we are saved. The good news 
is that God does not repay us according to our works. The good news is that God repays us according to his perfect and finished work on the cross. He gave up power and became powerless, subjecting himself to abuse, suffering in silence so that we don't have to any longer. He suffered in order that we might have protection, redemption, salvation, and the healing that he provides to us in the gospel. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us the strength to not look the other way and say we didn't know this was happening in our culture and in the church, that we would be able to rescue those who are taken away to death. And Father, we thank you for doing just that for us, for rescuing us even though we were on the path to destruction. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who took on the wrath deserved for us. Lord, we bring nothing. Our works are worthless. And we know that we would be judged except for the interceding rescue of your son, Jesus, who gives us his. So that when you look on us, you see your children beautiful sons and daughters created in your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.